This is Danny and Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Streaming nationwide on the 710 Sports app and 710sports.com. Now here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. Trying to put on the show. Got a little bit of breaking news that directly affects the Seattle Seahawks. Carson Wentz is going to undergo foot surgery. That was announced by Colts coach Frank Reich just a couple minutes ago. The timetable, he is expected to miss 5 to 12 weeks. I don't think anybody should expect Carson Wentz to be starting when Seattle begins its season in Indianapolis. Put it on the board. They're 1-0. They're 1-0 going into the year. Yeah, I will make that proclamation already because who's going to be under center for Indianapolis? I know the Seahawks have had some issues with backup quarterbacks in the past. Nope, they're 1-0. But but this is like the perfect game where... They get roasted for like 400 yards from Eason, and then Eason goes into week two and throws like three picks. Yeah. You mean the Cam Newton performance from week two yes. last year? Where all of a sudden everybody comes out of it and you're like, oh, that was a huge win for Seattle, and Cam Newton is back. Cam Newton never looked as good ever again. Jacob Eason is their backup. They also have Sam Ellinger. Nate Tepp, who is a local guy, somebody who I know, uh, his initial reaction to it was, I have a fear that the Colts are going to make a panic trade and gift wrap a second-round pick to the 49ers for Jimmy G? Mm. Could you see Indianapolis making a trade for a quarterback? Now, with with Wentz, with Wentz, it's a little more complicated than that because they've already given up a second-round pick, right, to acquire Wentz. That second-round pick can upgrade to a first depending on how he plays. Yep. I think Indianapolis has sunk too much into Wentz to move on from him right at the start, but... If you made the decision to go out and get somebody else to compete with Wentz, I mean, Wentz really isn't guaranteed anything from you long term. Did did you notice this story that popped up over the weekend? And I just thought it was so delicious because it's just so this guy. Did you see Matt Nagy saying, yeah, we know there's going to be a lot of demand for Nick Foles. As soon as this story (laughs) comes out, there's going to be a lot of demand for Nick Foles. Yeah, sure. Sure. With that contract. Their third-string quarterback, right? In Chicago, yep. Their third-string quarterback in Chicago, the guy that they signed Turkey Bacon Mm -hmm. to be in front of. Like, they went out and said, yeah, we're going to go get Turkey Bacon Dalton. He's not the real thing. Nobody knows he's the real thing. But it can can hold the place, and if you're on a – you're calorie conscious or you got some – you'll settle for Turkey Bacon. Like, nobody thinks it's real bacon. It's not going to fool anybody, but it can play the part for a little bit. The Garoppolo idea intrigues me, though. And, look, if he's out up to 12 weeks, which is what the report is, and they might be taking a bone out of his foot, which also sounds like it's going to be painful. No way. They're going to do, like, operation? I guess so. Like, do not touch the buzzer. (laughs) Do not touch the buzzer. If you touch – they're going to take a bone out of his foot they're gonna take the the wishbone out yeah yeah do we have any unnecessary bones in our foot that i mean i don't well, think we have lots sp- of bones in our feet so uh, right but i don't think any of them are just like hey we you can do without that one i was under the impression that all were important well i think they're just little you know they're just little uh little things that are just hanging in there right like there's got to be some that are useless uh any podiatrists out there <laughs> seven, i don't ten, think you seven, can have ten. a bone removed from that doesn't sound like something you come back in five to twelve weeks from <laughs> You had a bone removed from your foot. Well, he's not going to be there. Does that does that change any of your expectation for the Seahawks? I mean, I guess it gives you an easier first game on the road. Yeah, you, you won. never. It's over. Yeah, yeah. It's Seattle. Seattle under Pete Carroll has typically been pretty bad on the road and road openers specifically. It's gotten a little better recently, but that's that's typically throughout Pete's ten years here. They generally lose their first road game. Yeah, true, but. 
I mean, last year against the mm-hmm. Atlanta Falcons, they opened the year things before up. too. Yeah, so look, people are mad at me. It's a win, guys. Come on. Jacob Eason, he stinks. I swear to God. <laughs> DJ's so bad. What, what? What? Am I wrong here? Am I wrong in looking at Indianapolis if they don't have a good quarterback? Like, shouldn't, shouldn't you win that game? Yeah. You should have won that game if Carson Wentz is there, too. Like, you should expect that. If you went 12-4 and four last year and believe that you're a better team and address some of your weak comings, we, weird stuff happens in the first two weeks of an NFL season. I will say that. The, the first two weeks of an NFL season are the hardest to project, in part because you haven't seen anything happen and in part because everybody's healthy or as healthy as they're going to be all year. I feel for Carson Wentz here. Yeah. I, it's a bummer that he keeps getting hurt. There's lots of dudes that constantly get it. Yeah, I... I that's a bummer. It's a bummer when an athlete has is doesn't get a chance to really show what he can do, and it's it's a hard start to his career. I also feel like there's a lot of guys in this league that have a hard time staying healthy because it's a brutal sport. True, but how many of them have almost been an MVP, were the leader in the MVP race, and then they got hurt, and then it's somebody else, and that guy who steps in for him wins the Super Bowl, and then it's just been a bunch of weird injuries that he's had over the course of the last couple of years. And then, of course, everything just went to heck last year in Philadelphia because in Howie Roseman because terrible. he wasn't good. No, in part because he wasn't good. Nah, he didn't have very much help around him. Look, I, got, I know Dude, I'm making some excuses terrible. for him. For two two years, he, holds, he has been statistically one of the worst quarterbacks in the league. He holds the football too long. You're, there's no doubt about it, but that, that guy was not in a very easy situation to win in, in Philly at the very end. I feel bad for guys who, because of injuries, never get a chance to cash in. Like I, That's probably who I feel worst for, is someone who suffers an injury in year three or year four that prevents them. I feel bad for Carson Wentz. I mean, he was going to be the NFL MVP. He suffers a season-ending knee injury and then watches as his backup, Nick Foles, leads the team to a title. But all in all, Carson Wentz has still gotten chances to hold on to that job. He, got, he, he was restored to that job. When he got there, and he's gotten a huge contract. Like, if you were going to come up with his exhibit A of the guy whose career has been jobbed because of injuries, it's not Carson Wentz. Hmm. I, I think that I think that the injuries are a major factor when it comes to Wentz. I really do. I mean, it's just been a lot. Still got paid. True. He's still getting paid now. That's true. He's still getting he's paid. He's got paid for way more than he's ever achieved on so, the field. So, feeling bad for him because he's getting paid, okay, maybe that's a little bit far to go. But the guy, it's, it's not his fault that these injuries are happening. No. And I don't like it when guys get, I guess, blamed for getting hurt all the time. It's not his fault. And I feel like yeah, that I, sometimes happens with certain players. I mean, they've been all these injuries have been everywhere. Like concussions when Clowney's diving into the back of his skull. You know, like it's it's just been a lot of unfortunate circumstances for him. Carson Wentz uh, is going to undergo foot surgery. If you're just joining us, he's probably going to be out the first five to twelve weeks. The reason that that's significant here in Seattle is the Colts are Seattle's first opponent. They'll play at. Indianapolis to open the season. The expectation is that he'll probably be facing a backup. I can't imagine. Five weeks, if he's back five weeks from now, he'd be able to play, but then it'd be without a training camp. I'd be I'd be shocked if you see it. Jacob Eason, Sam Ellinger, and then they signed Brett Hundley, who the Seahawks saw uh, navigate, was a former Seahawk, and then the Seahawks saw beat them when he was a backup with Arizona. Uh, our Seahawks training camp coverage here at 710 ESPN Seattle is brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. We've also had a lot of conversation this morning about the Mariners and the the, the 
result of their trade deadline deals, both the deals that they did make, like sending Kendall Graveman to Houston, the result of deals that they didn't make in that they brought in Diego Castillo, they brought in Tyler Anderson, but didn't didn't make some of the over-the-top pushes. They didn't acquire some of the rental players that that other contenders bought. Like you look at how the Blue Jays in trading for Jose Barrios, you look at how the Yankees who traded for Anthony Rizzo, and those were teams that saw them selves as contenders when the season began, where the Mariners were seen as a team that many people expected to lose 90 games. But still, I, I think that that, that that has taken a little bit of wind out of Seattle sales combined with the fact that they've lost four or five games. Yeah, definitely. It's Timing-wise, just looks bad. I think you should remove the two series from one another. I think this loss of the series to Houston... You got bludgeoned, right? If like you, they just clobbered you into oblivion. With Graveman or without Graveman, those last two games, you don't have the run production to match the what Houston did in those games. I mean, every single game. I mean, even the first one, they, they just went out guns blazing at the beginning of every single one of those. But the Texas series, I think you should isolate. That's unacceptable. You can't lose two or three to this team. They stink. I understand that these happen. Uh, series like this happens. Series like these Series like these happen from time to time. You know, you'll lose to a team that you're better than, and you'll be uh, choking perhaps along the way. So, unacceptable here. And I think it's fair to be mad about it, but I also sort of want to separate it from the trade, and, and I think we're having a hard time doing that right now. It's natural. It was a trade that caused a huge reaction in the clubhouse, and maybe a stronger reaction in the clubhouse than publicly of looking at, hey, who, who Kendall Graveman is, Somebody who has made a transition from being a starting pitcher, who's trying to reestablish his, his career here in Seattle, to reinventing himself as a reliever after suffering kind of a career-altering, having a neck condition. He's been as good a, a closer. He's been a great relief pitcher this year, but he's also going to be expensive. I, trading Graveman is the kind of thing a team does when, it, when it's looking ahead. Trading Graveman, it's not the idea that giving up Graveman for Toro is a bad deal, but that's usually the kind of move that a team makes when they're kind of doing what the Cubs are doing, right? Or the Nationals are doing, which is, hey, here's a guy that's good, but we're probably not going to resign him, so let's get something for him. And they got a piece that they really wanted. They ran into a desperate Astros team. The Astros were so desperate for help that they were willing to pay and actually pay to acquire a reliever that the Mariners were just going to cut. We're going to let go in Rafael Montero. So in in that way, I think the Mariners did a good job of extracting value. It just looks terrible because you're trading him to the team you just beat, the team you're chasing yep. in the division, and it addresses their biggest weakness. Well, your team is left saying, what the heck? Yeah, and that part of it, look, I, I get from the clubhouse perspective, but you know, you got to move on. You added to your team. You added a fifth starter. You didn't have one. And you, know, you were sort of sitting twiddling your thumbs waiting for Justin Dunn or Justice Sheffield to come back, and they might be back soon, but they're not back now. Abraham Toro is a plus, and he's hit 500 for you thus far. Two homers, three doubles, two three-hit games. He's been really good. Great, in fact. So, to me, I'm, I'm really excited about what I've seen out of Abraham Toro. Diego Castillo's Saturday night, I think, is perhaps what makes this, though, sting the worst because it's so close to the trade for Graveman. Mm-hmm. And it's a closer that you're bringing in with the idea that he's at the very least on the same level as Graveman, if not better, and he's blowing it very early on against a bad baseball team and some guy named Jonah Heim, who's a real person. 
walked off the Mariners in back-to-back games. Losing two games where your bullpen faltered. And you can only you can only cite the absence of Graveman for one of those. Because he wasn't going to pitch in both games. Correct. You, you, would, you would not have had Kendall Graveman in there. And in fact, he's only pitched once. Castillo has pitched more for the Mariners than Graveman has pitched for the Astros so far. The timing, it matters within the clubhouse though, right? Like... It's not just fans feeling let down. The way players feel matters. The way players feel about the team that they're playing for. And I get what you've been saying, Paul, is that part of being a professional is putting that aside and going out and performing your best. You, you're, you're, that's what you're responsible for. But we, they spend a lot of time around each other. And the Mariners have spent a lot of time talking about clubhouse culture and building the right kind of culture and having the right kind of leaders and in this instance, I can see those leaders looking at this and saying, hey, they're telling us that this matters and then making deals that kind of show that, well, it matters only as long as they can't get a more valuable widget that's out there for, for one of the guys. that For all the emphasis that they've placed on clubhouse culture, they sure didn't value that culture that Graveman brought to this team. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not... I'm not denying that it has an effect. I just think it shouldn't have this catastrophic, oh, my God, you know, the dog died kind of thought, which right now everyone's, I, I think, looking at this and they're just having a difficult time moving on. I, I, I get it. You know, some people texted in a little bit earlier, 710, 710 of the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text. Like, Paul, do you have any feelings? Look, I'm, I, I empathize, but at the same time, you're going to see this happen a lot more too. You know, this is this is the first of many departures as I've as I've said a couple of times since since the move took place and this can't sink your season. You you can't let it sink your season. You might be mad about it, frustrated about it. Well, use that as some motivation, inspiration or something like that as opposed to wallowing. And I don't think they're necessarily wallowing, but I think we all collectively might be feeling that way just based off of the gravitas of the last week. From the 206, counterpoint is that the Rays just traded us their closer and they're contending too. That's a fair point as well. And the one thing with the Rays, I wondered about this. The Rays, the Astros clearly wanted and needed, they they were pressed to try and upgrade their bullpen. And that's why they ended up doing this. Would the Rays maybe have not traded Castillo to them? Mm. The Rays, for the for the Rays, the math is different of dealing with the Astros. For the Mariners, and I, I it doesn't bother me at all that the Mariners traded somebody to the Astros. You're not competing with the Astros this year. And in fact, you can make the argument, and I, I do believe this, this trade makes the Astros worse two to three years from now when you hope to and have planned to be competing with the Astros. This, this is a good thing for Seattle. For the Rays... The Rays are going to be in the playoffs. It would yep. take a collapse for them not to be. So they've got to look at it and say, I don't necessarily want to help address a weakness of a team. Maybe they would have been less likely to deal with the Astros. And in that way, you got a chance to get a player that, hey, the Astros would have loved to have Castillo, yeah. but they weren't going to get him from the Rays. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure that Houston wanted to add more than just Kendall Graveman to their bullpen. I'm, I'm sure they're looking at themselves. Well, they got Rafael Montero, so it wasn't just Graveman. <laughs> you know, and, and they, they believe in Rafael Montero for what it's worth. I, I don't see that. At all now, Brent Strong, their pitching coach, has seen some noticeable spin rate increases when he 
brings pitchers into the fold. They're not allowed to use sticky things anymore. Just ask Hector Santiago. <laughs> you are right. You are right on that. You can't use sticky things anymore. So I, I, I think that's a fair point that maybe Houston was looking to get Diego Castillo too. And for the Rays, you know, they just operate on a shoestring budget. And I, I, I understand how there are some people out there that are maybe a little bit nervous that they're, they're not willing the Mariners to spend in the, in the near future. And the idea that they weren't going to pay Kendall Graben this offseason is a reflection of that. And you know what? That's, that's not an unfair take to have just based off of what we've seen. But I, I, I guess right now, looking at Kendall Graveman objectively, I don't know that I'm going to be willing to pay him what he would likely get this offseason. It is Danny Gallant. It's time for us to go around the NFL. It's time to go around the NFL. The bottom line on the biggest stories in the NFL every morning at 9.15 with Danny and Gallant. Today's an exceptional day. Hello. Hello, everybody. What's up, DJ? I hope everybody had a great weekend. I did. Okay, that's that's good to hear. That's good to hear. I know you had your family in town. Yeah, it was great to see mom, uh, my stepdad, Kitsy. Um, We went to the Nordic Museum. It was fun. And I know, Danny, you have some family in town as well. I do. So that's My niece and nephew have rendered me with what it, what, it, what they refer to as the sea cucumber mustache. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it looks good. It looks good. Um, so speaking of the Carson Wentz situation, Frank Reich did say this about Jacob Eason, saying, quote, the job is Jacob's right now, and he's got to earn it, but he is in the driver's seat. It should be of note that they did side Brett Hundley over the weekend, and they also have Sam, Sam Ellinger from Texas, who is a rookie quarterback on the roster as well. Frank Reich says the Colts are confident in the quarterback room they have, told Jacob Eason supposedly, it's your show. Here we go. We'll see what happens. It's a great scenario for the Seahawks. Yep. 1-0. Right? 1-0. You're going to be play, playing a guy who is making his NFL debut, his first NFL start in Jacob Eason if, if things progress, or you're going to be playing Brett Hundley or Sam Ellinger. I mean, that's your first your first opener got significantly easier. I'm just looking forward to Jacob Eason rolling out of the pocket, doing a spin move to try to escape Jamal Adams. Adams bringing him down, forcing a fumble. Ugo Amadi takes it to the house. Boom. We're going really crazy with the predictions right now. Raiders owner Mark Davis tells Peter King that head coach John Gruden isn't under a win-now mandate. Now, for what it's worth, Gruden is 19-29. and (laughs) Helps to have an owner that gives you a 10-year contract without really thinking about what you still might have as a head coach. Yeah. He's been there three years now, and they've gone through, like, usually... Usually year three is when you expect to see the results of a rebuild. And and most tellingly, they did some things this last offseason that looked like, okay, we did this wrong and we're going to start. I mean, they junked their offensive line, essentially. They've had guys, they should have rebuilt the defense with the draft picks they made, and they've used a number of first-round draft picks on, on dudes, and that defense did not play well. Gus Bradley is going to be their coordinator. I mean... I, I agree. He's not under a win-now mandate because he's got seven more years of guaranteed salary. But John Gruden John Gruden might be the most overrated coach in NFL history. I'm not going to disagree. He won with Tony Dungy's Bucks. Yep. He, he had a huge impact when he first got to the Raiders. But 
look, anybody will tell you that Al Davis was the Raiders' defensive coordinator. Like, that's that that how that has always worked. And John did some great things and had a great he 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 and Rich Gannon together were better than anybody could have imagined. And his teams always fade in the second half. Like you look through the yeah. years and at Tampa and now at Oakland, they fall apart in the second half. Yeah. Yeah, I'm with you there, man. And is there anybody else that's up there with that? I mean, he's got a Super Bowl and people talk about he got a ten year contract from the Raiders. He has two more fall guys in front of him too. Mike Mayock's the next and Derek Carr's the one after that. Those are the guys that Gruden can point to and blame, but you know, just take a look at what they've done in the drafts the last couple of years. Uh, Jonathan Abram, who they got as a safety, hasn't yeah. done a whole lot. Josh Jacobs, who I think is a really talented running back, didn't have a very good season last year. They traded away or got rid of half of their offensive line for some reason. Um, who's the other guy that they got? Cleveland Farrell in the four, uh, with the fourth overall pick in that same draft as Jonathan that's Abram? The, that's the dude, because when they picked him, everybody said, that's not the kind of fast twitch. He was an effort and mo- like going to be a solid defensive lineman. That's not what you do with a top 10 pick. Nope, they have not done a very good job there. And I, I think you can, because of that, point to other people. But it, it, I think it's all Gruden. I, I, I've long thought he's overrated. And we haven't even gotten to the point where his players start checking out on him because they all feel like he doesn't actually have their backs and that he's two-faced, which has been an accusation that's come up before in Gruden's career when he was with Tampa Bay specifically. Somebody's saying I goofed up on the math. What was his record again? Something in 19 and 29. 19 and 29. Yes. Oh, just with his three years as uh, with the Raiders. Yeah, see, I think I did the math okay. <laughs> also, for what it's worth, they also had a first round pick uh, in 2020 named Damon Arnett, who was a defensive back, and a lot of oh, people dude. mocked him to be a third rounder. That dude had some issues. Yes. Like He looks like a wildly athletic. He looked like the second coming of Dominique Roger, Rogers Cromartie, like where he's just really long and can run everywhere, but was just a wild man. Okay, maybe I'm reading too much into this one. But Kyle Shanahan, when he was on uh, Training Camp Live on NFL Network, said at his best, Jimmy Garoppolo can beat out any rookie quarterback. That's what he had to say about the yeah. quarterback battle. Yeah, which I is, I think that's true. Does that is that kind of a backhanded compliment? Like, hey, at his best, Jimmy's issue is staying healthy, right? Like, that's you would say if if Jimmy can stay healthy, Jimmy is at the very least a tier three guy. Where hey, if you've got a strong running game and a good defense, you you can absolutely win with him. I think there's a s- serious question about whether or not. You're down six points with two thirty left, and he needs to score a touchdown. Like I don't, I don't think he's that dude. But that's that's a matter of opinion. He can, you can win with him, though. Yeah, no doubt. And look, Jimmy G is better than I would say every rookie quarterback going into the NFL this season. You think he's better than Trevor Lawrence right now? Yeah, we'll, we'll really? That's going to take Trevor Lawrence some time. You know, I, I I think Garoppolo got a lot of flack because of his worst moments, but I still think. He's an adequate quarterback. He, like Jared Goff, is overpaid. And because of that, I think we act like they're a lot worse than they actually are. Goff, not someone I'd want to have. Definitely not. I'm not acting like I would advocate for him. But I do think at times, too, we're like, oh, he's the worst quarterback in the NFL. No, there are, there are worse quarterbacks than Goff. There are worse quarterbacks than Garoppolo. They're in the, like, you know, 2018, 22 kind of range as far as quarterbacks across the league. Our Seahawks training camp coverage brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. There's a difference between being a guy and being the man. 
That's what Jimmy G epitomizes, and we'll explain it next. You are listening to Danny and Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Now, here are your hosts, Danny O'Neill and Paul Gallant. It's the difference between being a guy and being the man. Jimmy Garoppolo right now is a guy, right? Yep. Yeah, I mean, at quarterback, he's a guy. You can get to the playoffs with him. Tavares Jackson was a guy. Mm-hmm. You could make the playoffs with Tavares Jackson. He's a 500 quarterback, and if you get a really good team, he'll get you into the playoffs. The man? The man is what everybody searches for. The man is the guy who, when he's your quarterback, you say, barring an injury, this team should make the playoffs. And your approach in the fourth quarter of any game is keep it close, and the man's going to make the difference. Like, I remember the point when Russ went from being a guy or considered like, hey, is he just a guy to being the man? Second half of 2015. Like Jimmy, Gra- Jimmy Graham goes down with a knee injury. They're kind of, eh, could be good, might go in the tank, and he goes on a tear. And you're like, from that point forward, it's like there's no questions. Like, this guy's, th- this is the guy you keep until he doesn't want to be here, and even then you probably hold on to him. They're, they're, it's not that hard to find a guy. It's really hard to find the man. Yeah, it really is. And some teams think they find the man, and then they give him a big-time contract extension. And all of a sudden, as we were just talking about with Jimmy Garoppolo, with Jared Goff, Ryan Tannehill in Miami, they turn out to not be the man. And then they have this awkward situation of, what the heck do we do with this guy and his contract? Are we going to be able to move it anywhere? Are we going to get anything actually in return for it? Because we're going to think that other teams believe he can be the man, even though we ourselves don't believe that he is the man. And then you find the only way to get out of something like that is the trade that the Los Angeles Rams made with Jared Goff in the hopes that Matt Stafford is the man when I think to this point in his career, he's just been the guy. Oh, that's a good one. Stafford's such a weird, he's his career. It's a strange career. It, yep. it really is. Can you say he's a bust as a first round, the first overall no, pick? I, I would not say that he has, he has lasted in the league this long. He has put up pretty impressive statistics. I won't call him a bust. How about you? No. Can you call him a success? I think anyone, if you're a quarterback drafted in the first round and you play for a bad organization and you've survived in the league this long, yeah, I, he's he's a success. I mean, he hasn't he's won a playoff game and he was the first overall pick. No doubt about it. I mean, that's, that's like Sam Bradford. Sam Bradford, about the same time in the same contract thing. Sam Bradford's career was not a success. But, and maybe that's due to injury. Stafford's in that weird spot where I would agree with you. He, you can't say he's the man, but he's, he's been better than just a guy, too, because of the, the organization he's been hampered with. He is a success. He has been in the league this long and mm-hmm. he has. Gotten them to the playoffs a couple of times. I don't Twice. think he's as good as he is sometimes made out to be, which is where I want to draw the line. But this is a guy who has survived. And a lot of first overall quarterbacks take David Carr. They are out of the league or just a future backup forever. I, I don't think Stafford, as long as he's healthy, is ever going to be, you know, a Marcus Mariota in Las Vegas who's sitting behind the bench hoping for an opportunity to come into his way again. Well, and the big news, if you've missed it this morning, is that Carson Wentz, the Colts' starting quarterback, is going to undergo foot surgery. 
Uh, he's going to be out five to 12 weeks. Uh, we did get some input from a podiatrist. Paul was wondering if perhaps there were unnecessary bones in the foot. Yeah. Uh, he worked in podiatrist sales. He said there are 28 bones in the foot, and each and every one is essential, especially for an NFL player. Oh, okay. Well, that's that's uh, great for Carson Wentz. The Wentz is wagon. he really having a bone taken out of his foot? That's, is that really what's happening? That's what Ian Rappaport tweeted out at the very least. So. <laughs> is that he's going to have a bone? I don't think I've ever heard of that. Old twenty seven bones. Heard, I think I've I don't think I've ever heard of someone having a bone removed from their foot. Yeah, I I feel like also like what I've you heard of the, rods being inserted into bones, but I don't know if a foot bone is big enough. There's the, the these are the hands or metatarsals. What if so you accidentally also, dislodge some of the other bones too in the foot by poking around to play with one of the bones? Yeah, I I don't think it generally the foot works like an operation procedure. Well, you just open it up, and if you have a really delicate and steady hand with the tweezers, you can remove it without no. the buzzer going off. No, what you go in, you go in with a hammer, and you just you just smash it like your Kathy Bates. Seattle catches a break in some respects. They'll start the season off most likely. I don't think anybody expects, well, the timetable is five to 12 weeks for Carson Wentz to recover. I don't think anybody's going to expect him to be available that first game. Eric Fisher, uh, the left tackle they signed from the Kansas City Chiefs in the offseason. He's also coming off of Achilles and Achilles injury. So it's unclear whether he's going to be ready. And I don't think anybody expects him. So Seattle should be, while they're starting on the road, should be getting a bit of an easier assignment than it otherwise might be because Indianapolis has been a very capable team, though Indy's defense is really what made them good last year, and that defense should be good again this year. They have a great offensive line, and they have a plus defense. But is the plus defense going to be able to be the same defense it was the year before? That that varies year to year. you know. It, unless you're just completely overloaded with talent, I, obviously, they added uh, DeForest Buckner last offseason. Uh, Darius Leonard's one of the best middle linebackers in the game and is probably going to get a contract north of what we just saw Fred Warner get um, at cornerback. I, I really liked when they drafted Rocky Sin uh, a couple of seasons ago, but if they don't have a quarterback, what is the offensive line? What does the defense, what, is that, what does that do for you? You know, I, I, I feel like they are clearly the underdogs for – the week one game against the Seahawks, which I'm already penning in as a win. I will say this for the Colts building. I like the way the Colts are trying to find their quarterback. I think it's a much better way than what we've seen other teams do, which is sink everything in a hope and a prayer and say, okay, this guy's got to work. Really, I mean, the San Francisco 49ers and the Rams have strapped their futures to a guy that has not played for them yet, mm-hmm. right? Like the Rams' immediate future is strapped to Matthew Stafford. And is he a quarterback who's been saddled in a bad situation and really is the man? Or is he someone who's just a guy? And if that's the case, I don't expect Sean McVay to coach past Matthew Stafford. If they don't win with Stafford, I don't think he's going to get to pick the next quarterback. Kyle Shanahan, theirs is a little trick. They traded up, took Trey Lance. They're hoping that they get a situation to go from good to great a good quarterback to an absolutely great one that Jimmy's good, but has limits kind of in the way that Colin that Alex Smith, when he turned it over first to Colin Kaepernick and then in Kansas city to Patrick Mahomes was probably the best example. But in both of those cases, those guys are, those franchises are strapping their future to whether to this guy working that that next guy has to work. Trey Lance has to work for, for Kyle Shanahan to be successful in, in San Francisco. Matthew Stafford has to work. For, for it to be successful for Sean McVay. 
Frank Reich and how they've done it in the Indy, they took Philip Rivers last year. They traded for Carson Wentz this year. They drafted Jacob Eason. Who they're, they're not taking the, this guy has to work. They're hoping to find a working solution, but they're not going to pay that guy before they see whether or not he pays off. I, I like that way of, of choosing a quarterback. Yeah, I, I do too. But if they don't find that guy, then eventually they will be run out yeah. of town. No, and- it's true. It's true. You have to. You're eventually gonna. You don't get limitless. You can't just say, "Hey, we're just taking bites at the apple." Eventually, you have to. You have to find a guy, or you're gonna run out of time. Yeah, you got. And and Indy's being casual with it, and great. But you know, San Francisco, L.A., they've been aggressive, and eventually, you have to be aggressive. And as someone who watched a team in Houston decide to basically like just play it safe, I mean, they wasted three years where the team was solid. They wasted 2014, 15, and 16. Uh, they did bring in Brock Osweiler in 16, but then they finally said, all right, you know what? We got to trade up and we got to get a Deshaun Watson. See, and I've seen it here in Seattle where I'm like, Seattle did it right. Like they gave, they tried Matt Hasselbeck, looked and see it. Okay, can we continue this with Matt Hasselbeck while we look for it? No, nope, Matt, Matt's going to want more money. We're going to go ahead and turn the page. We'll go with Tavares Jackson, signed Charlie Whitehurst, drafted Russell Wilson, signed Matt Flynn. Like they took all these reasonable sort of not one of those was ever predicated on this is the boomer bust guy and that's how they came out with Russell Wilson. They they didn't they didn't trade for Kevin Cobb. True. I'm saying okay, this has got to be the guy. But they also I mean and we have to say that they didn't think that that Russ was going to be this. I I don't think they thought anyone thought he was going to be this. Just like New England didn't know that they were getting Tom Brady at pick 199. I mean, they stumbled into arguably the second best pick in NFL history. Yes. They got Joe Montana. Joe Montana yeah. was a third round third pick. round pick. Yes. yes, they they stumbled into it. They gave themselves a chance to be lucky because they weren't so beholden to a different quarterback that they sunk everything in because they had to have a quarterback. And they gave them a chance, and it wasn't Tavares, and it wasn't Charlie Whitehurst, and it wasn't Matt Flynn, but it was Russell Wilson. They took the approach that take multiple bites at the apple, and one of those will pan out for you. And when you, you'll know it when you see it. This making me think about Dallas for some reason. You know, Dallas, they stumbled into Tony Romo. Yeah. Uh, they stumbled into Dak Prescott. You, you, you have to be lucky at the position, ultimately. And then you have to hope that that luck stays with it because a guy like Carson Wentz, obviously, is somebody who has not been very lucky over the course of his career after that great 2017 he had. It's Danny and Gallant. We raise flags. That's coming up next. From the pocket and flags everywhere. Flag on the play. Now there's a flag down. Every morning at 945 with Danny and Gallant. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. If the noise persists, the defense will be charged with a timeout. Flag on the play. It's that time where we wrap up the three hours of majesty and mayhem we've just perpetrated upon the world. (laughs) This is about the best time of year, right? You got baseball entering the closing stretch. You got football starting. The Olympics are currently going on. I guess the basketball offseason is a little thrown off right now. We've got expansion hockey news. By the way, the Kraken apparently did their contract for the goalie wrong, but they've redone it. So it should be okay. That was weird. Like, hockey is like, you can't give out races like that. And they're like, okay, we'll just do it different. October's better, right? October, you got you got playoff baseball, which is better than regular season baseball by That's leaps true. and bounds. College football is when you first get to see good teams play against each other, interconference games, and the NFL season it's it's underway. We have a feel for what it is. We're not quite 
approaching the finish line, so we know that there's still plenty of time left and there's not that, oh, man, the season's almost over. October's where it's at for me. Specifically Halloween, which is the greatest holiday there is. I don't disagree with that. Get an extra Except hour or two at, at one of those nights as well. Yeah. yeah thanks to Big Candy. <laughs> yeah. The Big Candy Lobby. <laughs> what do you got for a flag, Paul? So, Olympic coverage is, I feel, different, but not always engaging. So, leave it to NBC to actually do something right here. They have been doing an Olympic broadcast that features Kevin Hart and Snoop Dogg. And Snoop Dogg has been incredible. As advertised, maybe one of the... Might be on Charles Barkley's level, honestly, when it comes to sports commentary, even though he's never played a sport. Because only, I think, Snoop Dogg could make something like equestrian... uh, Riding or whatever the heck this sport was sound fun. Here's Snoop Dogg. Like this, this is equestrian. This they is prancing. They prancing. call this equestrian. By the way, look at that horse. Did you own oh, a horse? Crip walking, cuz you see that? <laughs> on the set. That's gangsters of mother. Hey! Oh, 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 look at this guy. Oh, come on, man. This horse is off the chain. I gotta get this in a video. Oh, oh you see? <laughs> oh my God. Snoop said I gotta put the horse in the video. Off the chain. I need that. Horse Crip walking is officially in the Olympics. Man, you see that? <laughs> Snoop's pretty entertaining. Yeah. There's another one that we definitely can't air. <laughs> another one-liner that he dropped. <laughs> Had to do with another event that involves shooting guns. DJ, <laughs> what do you got for I'm a flag? Glad you made the exact decision on that because I would have had to be like, yeah, we can't. Can't air that one. <laughs> um, I want to raise a flag. This is going to sound odd because I don't really watch soccer, but I've been trying to do a better job of uh, following both the women and the men, um, the U.S. national teams for both. And want to raise a flag to the men because yesterday they won the CONCACAF Gold Cup again. And they did it, and they beat Mexico, their huge rival. That's without right. Without Weston McKinney, Serenio Dest, Christian Pulisic. Um, Tyler Adams and Giovanni Reyna, who those five are fantastic, like all young players. Really, they think um, a lot of things I read says they could be like this golden generation for U.S. soccer. But specifically, I want to play this cut here from Alexi Lawless, who, of course, former all-time great U.S. soccer player and now does uh, color commentary for Fox Sports on their uh, soccer broadcast. And just listening to him, listening to him just tear up watch after watching this win just reminds you why like sports are just the best and it's, and it's just a game and it's uh, there will be other games against Mexico I don't know it's 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 everything it's this incredible crowd it's it's the way that they it's America it makes me very yeah. happy and very proud and I know it's it's just it's just sports it's just soccer and all that I always like seeing people get emotional over sports Specifically, like I mean, now it feels like three months ago. But when the Mariners pulled off that comeback win against Houston, I mean, I personally did not cry, but I was like, "Man, like this is awesome!" And now, you know, here we are. But anyways, <laughs> just wanted to raise a flag to the U.S. Men's National Team and Alexi, Alexi Lawless. There, it was pretty awesome. Yeah, stinks. The women lost. Unacceptable. Men's basically the men's number three team beats Mexico. The women lost to Canada. Oh, ah, oh. 
Canada doesn't even play soccer. They're not a real country when it comes to soccer. They're not. They're not. Mexico at least is good. You know? Canadian women team's really good. Sure. I wouldn't know. They're not the United States. That's all I know, and I will be ignorant with my soccer takes. The U.S. women, they should win every single game that they play 7 to nothing. The world has caught up to U.S. women's soccer. No. There's not the gap that exists. No. This team had some chemistry issues. It was a bummer to see. I, I love the U.S. women's soccer team, and I'm excited about the next generation of the U.S. men's team. The golden generation. We can start throwing that around to annoy all the people in other countries. It's really funny when you get it. Belgium's got one right now where they talk about that, the golden, golden generation. generation. Yeah. It's really obnoxious. It's fantastic. One last thing on Alexi Lawless. I wish that Alexi Lawless still looked the same way that he did when he was playing in the 90s with his mustache and giant agree. hair. Yes, he, he should have like a goatee. Person. He should have never ever been allowed to shave. Nope. Like that you you are required to have ridiculous Ronald McDonald, the hippie <laughs> Ronald McDonald look for the yeah. rest of your life. It's such a good look, iconic and yeah, it's like wait, who's this guy? When someone becomes famous like that, should we mandate that they stay frozen in time? Like you have to go back to the peak of your popularity. Like once we determine what that is, you have to look like that forever. Yeah. Like slash I don't know what Slash looks like right now, but Slash should be wearing a leather top hat, leather vest with no shirt did, on. Did you see Fred Durst at uh, Lollapalooza? Yes! What was I that? I did. It was ridiculous. Yeah, get, get your chin music back and your and your, and your your red Hank Yankees hat. Rolling, rolling, rolling. What? <laughs> Sounded like DMX. I am throwing a flag, and it's going to start. I want to read what Eric Swanson posted yesterday on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Never would I think I'd ever have to sit here and write something like this. I think Mariners have the best fans in the world. Every one of us inside this clubhouse want to win and be the team to finally bring playoff baseball back to Seattle. Every single one of us leave it all out on the field each and every single day. Today, I should have been better. I take full responsibility for today's loss. I have no problem seeing fans yell at me and call me everything in the book inside my DMs. But when you threaten my family and go inside my wife's DMs and comment on her pictures wishing death upon us, that's where I draw the line. Be better, people. I'm really sorry that Eric Swanson had to deal with this. Same. I'm really sorry that Marco Gonzalez had to deal with something similar after one of his first starts. Yeah. After the birth of his daughter and comments that were left on an Instagram photo of his daughter. I also I want to throw a flag on the social media companies. Online anonymous abuse is and has been a huge issue. And there are cowards and people out there that are allowed because of the cloak of anonymity to say things they would never say to a person's face. And in fact, are are, are criminal threats. You, you can't you can't report it either. You know, when I went through my little thing uh, about a year ago, uh, I got some death threats and heinous things. And I was like, I, wait, I can't do anything about this. I can't even report these. You can't. There's no means to report uh, basically death threats and things like that on uh, on Instagram. It's nuts. So it's wrong. And it's been wrong for a long time. And it's happened. And when I see that, there's a simple fix to it. And it is the social media companies taking away the cloak of anonymity. And even if you're not publicly identified, having a way to trace the accounts back to a, a specific person. You should not be able to do those things. It is criminal to be able to to, to threaten someone like that. And I just, it's gross. And yep. it makes me feel very, very bad for everybody who deals with it. And I, and I know that the people who deal with it most are people who are famous, women, and people of color. I deal with significantly more hate 
and abuse and threats, and it's wrong. The people that do it, I call you eggs. That is a term of great disrespect and essentially implies that you're a coward. Yeah, there's not much. There's not much that I think is less. I can't think of many things more cowardly than hiding behind a screen and having nothing to identify you and saying things that you intend to aggravate other people or to intimidate other people. It's it's really it's embarrassing. Be better. It's gonna be it. That's going to be it for us. We want to thank Ugo Amati for joining us. Our training camp coverage brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. The professor, John Clayton with the morning drive. John Brock Heward joined us for Blue 42. He is DJ. He holds it down like gravity. And he's Paul Gallant. Paul put up quite a legal argument today. The trust in Jerry DePoto and the, the belief that the Toro, he's like a Toro in a China shop. And he is Danny O'Neill, and he brought back the uh, Oregon is terrible song and i always enjoy hearing it every single time that it is played by those vocal cords of his so long farewell it's just me next and we'll talk about well how we're feeling about the mariners they made a good trade they made a good trade come on i'll tell you why next